all going to remain seated for our reading this morning. It is long, um, and I'm going to give a little bit of an introduction to it. You should have received when you came in today this um, green sheet of paper. We are doing a three-week sermon series on the book of Esther. And if you think to yourself, Esther, I've heard of that book of that Bible, and I know there's women's circles named that, but I know nothing about her. Good news, you're not alone. <laughs> in fact, when we brought, I brought it up at a text study, I was at one of the pastors in the circle goes, I know nothing about the book of Esther. And I said, okay, good. So we've got something to learn together. It is a, a book of the Bible that is hardly ever preached on, one that is not well known, and the name of God is not even mentioned in it. So why talk about it? Well, I think there's good reason. So you have your cheat sheet with all of the characters that you'll need to know, and I hope that you will go home today and actually read the entire book of Esther. We're going to talk about it for three weeks, reading various chapters. You could read it in chunks, but it is a really good story, and one um, that will take you probably less than a half hour to read in its entirety. There's plot twists and turns over the top situations and strong characters. For the Jewish people, the book of Esther explains the origin of one of their holidays, Purim. It's a holiday I would love to celebrate. I'm hoping I'll get invited by someone to a synagogue because it is supposed to be a rowdy celebration where there's a lot of irreverent behavior. People dress up and they shout and they eat different food and they remember the story of how their people were saved from the Persians. They read out loud the entire book of Esther and the entire congregation participates in this act in the late winter, early spring of every year. Unfortunately, we won't be getting that rowdy this morning. Sorry. But I do think it is a story worth learning, worth pausing over. And while it might seem over the top, it tells a story of people of faith who are called to a difficult task of standing up in the face of oppression, taking personal risks, and fighting for their own people. One author I read described the book of Esther this way. He said that the characters in it display holy resistance. Holy resistance. And I think that phrase, holy resistance, invites us to ask the question of when are we called to stand up against the powers that be in our world and in our community and say no. And in our holy resistance, consider how our lives of faith and our actions might affect the well-being of our neighbors and allow for all people to be known and loved for who they are. So that is my brief introduction to the book of Esther. We're going to begin with chapter 1. You do not need to stand. And here we hear the story of Queen Vashti. This is the story of something that happened in the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes, who ruled from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces in all. King Xerxes ruled from his royal crown, throne in the palace complex of Susa. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his officials and ministers. The military brass of Persia and Media were also there, along with the princes and governors of the provinces. For six months, 
He put on exhibit the huge wealth of his empire and its stunning, beautiful royal splendors. At the conclusion of the exhibit, the king threw a week-long party for everyone living in Susa, the capital, important and the non-important alike. The party was in the garden courtyard of the king's summer house. The courtyard was elaborately decorated with white and blue cotton curtains tied with linen and purple cords to silver rings on marble columns. Silver and gold couches were arranged on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and colored stones. Drinks were served in golden chalices, each chalice one of a kind. The royal wine flowed freely, a generous king. The guests could drink as much as they liked, king's orders. With waiters at their elbows to refill the drinks, Meanwhile, Queen Vashti was throwing a separate party for the women inside King Xerxes' royal palace. On the seventh day of the party, the king, high on the wine, ordered the seven eunuchs who were his personal servants to bring him Queen Vashti resplendent in her royal crown. He wanted to show off her beauty to the guests and officials. She was extremely good looking. But Queen Vashti refused to come. She refused the summons delivered by the eunuchs. The king lost his temper. Seething with anger over her insolence, the king called in his counselors, all experts in legal matters. It was the king's practice to consult his expert advisors. Those closest to him, the seven highest-ranking princes of Persia and Media, the inner circle with access to the king's ear. He asked them what legal recourse they had against Queen Vashti for not obeying King Xerxes' summons delivered by the eunuchs. Memucan spoke up in the council of the king and princes. It is not only the king that Queen Vashti has insulted. It is all of us. Leaders and people alike in every last one of King Xerxes' provinces. The word's gonna get out. Did you hear the latest about Queen Vashti? King Xerxes ordered her to be brought before him and she wouldn't do it. When the women hear it, they'll start treating their husbands with contempt. The day the wives of Persians and Mede officials get wind of the queen's insolence, they'll be out of control. Is this what we want? A country of angry women who don't know their place? So if the king agrees, let him pronounce a royal ruling and have it recorded in the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it cannot be revoked that Vashti is permanently banned from King Xerxes' presence and let the king give her royal position to a woman who knows her place. When the king's ruling became public knowledge throughout the kingdom, extensive as it is, every woman, regardless of her social position, will show proper respect to her husband. The king and the princess liked this, 
The king did what Memucan proposed. He sent bulletins to every part of the kingdom, to every province in its own script, to each people in their own language. Quote, every man is master of his own house. Whatever he says goes. The word of our Lord. David said to me as I walked in this morning, I don't like this text, how can you? <laughs> I don't know, it grew on me, David. <laughs> how can we pronounce the word of the Lord after reading an edict like that one, you might ask? I suppose for a time this text was used as a warning to women. I suppose for a time people said to one another, we can't be like Queen Vashti, can we? It wouldn't be right to say no. Remember what happened to her when she stood up to King Xerxes? She was thrown out of the palace. She lost her position of honor. Remember, Queen Vashti, we can't speak up. We can't say no. We need to know our place. I suppose that's how it was looked at for a while. Queen Vashti didn't obey and she didn't serve her husband as the possession he believed her to be. I did a little research a few weeks ago. I actually dug out some Hebrew. Now, I am no Hebrew expert and if you bring me face to face with someone, I will lose. But I was looking up the phrase for wife as it's used in this context and I found that it was defined as possession. He owned her, and this isn't hard to believe, for women were once regarded as possessions and still are in some places. Women did not have the same rights as men. Women weren't allowed to hold down jobs. Women were regarded as belonging to someone and not having their own voice, their own opinions, and they weren't allowed to dare to resist. Yes. I would suppose for a while people told the story of Queen Vashti as a way to keep women in their place. But thanks be to God, that has changed. <laughs> thanks be to God that I think we can read this story and listen to it with new ears today. Thanks be to God that I, a woman, get to stand up and read this story and give my opinion of it. That's not always the case in some places. Because even though women are welcomed and respected and given voice and honor, it is still a battle we are fighting. There are far too many women in our world who do not have equal rights and who do not have a voice. And even within our own community, women still have a long way to go before we'll receive equal pay and equal respect at times. See, while this story might have been used to keep women like me in my place, today I read it differently, and I think Queen Vashti is a hero. She is a hero who loved herself enough to say no, even if it meant risking a lot. She is a hero who said no not only for herself, but I believe for women everywhere. She is a woman who said no not only for women, but for anyone who is, has their voice taken away. 
and is treated as a possession instead of a beloved, beautiful child of God who has a place in this world. I have been imagining this party that was thrown with the men and the women. After all, it is really well described, is it not? Down to the couch color and the curtains. The part of the text that strikes me is the part that talks about who was there. The important and non-important people alike. Now this is pretty politically incorrect, and we could argue with the author saying, aren't we all important? But it does convey the point, doesn't it? We know that it was not just the royal officials who were gathered in that place, but everyone. The commoners in the village, the people out in the community, anyone got to come to this party. And while on the one hand I expect that King Xerxes was showing off all that he had, his royal splendor and his prestige and fame, and I expect Queen Vashti did a bit of the same, I have a feeling that she had a somewhat different experience at this party. I have a feeling that Queen Vashti maybe spent some time listening to the stories of the women in her community asking what life is like for them in their homes and on their farms or wherever they're living. And I expect she heard some stories about good situations, of good marriages and healthy families. But as women often do, they do share personally about things going on in their lives. And I have a feeling that she heard some other stories too. Sad stories, stories of struggle, Stories of women who were not being treated with respect. Stories of women who were perhaps abused and hurt. I have a feeling she heard the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so when the eunuchs came in, into her hall and said, Queen Vashti, King Xerxes wants you to come with your royal crown on and display all your beauty, this was her moment. As she looked out in the, at the other women in her party, women she had listened to and spoken with, it was her moment to take a stand. No, she said. As simple as that, no. She refused to go. Did she say no because she knew if the queen of Persia dared to stand up to the king, that it might give other women in that room the confidence and the courage to do the same in their own home. I don't know. I hope so. Did she say no to set an example? Did she say no because she had received a request like this before? And she had been so belittled and humiliated that she had vowed to herself that she would never do it again? Did she even need a reason to say no? All I do know in the end is that she said it. And in saying no, Queen Vashley displayed great courage, great strength, and took an incredible risk. Saying no might not seem like a big deal. 
It might seem like a small thing, but as we can see in this story, when you say no to someone who has always been told yes, there is a great reaction. The powers that be get together to fix this bad and broken situation. And saying no, a voice is finally heard. And saying no, a person can finally set boundaries for herself. And saying no, a possession turns into a person. Saying no might be the most difficult thing we are called to do at times. I originally wrote this sermon attempting to address domestic violence, a hidden and often silent problem in our community that affects far too many people and far too many families. One third of women experience some sort of domestic violence in their lifetime, one fourth of men. That's a lot of people. I think it's something we do need to talk about in our churches and I think we need to talk about as a community But given this past weekend's events, I was moved to change my sermon a little bit. But before I do, if anyone in this community is being pushed around, follow Queen Vashti's example in saying no, and know that you have people who will listen to you and will help you. Come talk to me, Pastor Scott, Brian, any of us will do what we can. But Queen Vashti's example, I think, goes beyond that of domestic violence and out into our world, into all sorts of different places. As I watched the news this weekend, looking at the marches, the protests, and the violence in Charlottesville, Virginia, I decided to table that bigger discussion for another day. Because Queen Vashti shows a holy resistance, a holy resistance I believe we are called to follow. Holy resistance means that we stand up in the face of oppression that happens in our homes, in our community, in our world, and when someone is pushing other people around and calling them less than or using bigotry and racism and prejudice, we say no. But here's the thing I like about Queen Vashti. She doesn't say no with violence. She doesn't say no by fighting evil with evil, but instead she says it simply and nonviolently and with great poise. No, this is not okay. I don't stand for this. And that in itself, I believe, is threatening enough. Watching the news this past weekend and seeing the chaos and hatred on display in Charlottesville, we were looking into the face of fear, the face of hatred. The name of God was written on the signs that were being used, somehow attempting to use God's name to bless the actions that were being taken. The name of God has been used in these fashions before, and I don't believe that God ever endorses this type of violence and evil. What we know about God is that God walks into places of heartache and violence and oppression and stands with the vulnerable in nonviolent love. And I believe that is what we are called to do. Our country is indeed divided, divided in too many ways. And I don't know how to fix it, and I don't know that anyone does. But I know it is not with violence. I know it is not with hatred. I know it is not in claiming some people are better than others. 
I know it is in loving each other all as beloved children of God and saying we belong to each other and we're going to work together to figure this out. And when people stand up in hatred, we say no to that. We say that's not okay. The story of our faith is a story of holy resistance. It is the story of people who stand up time and time again when persecution is happening to other people. It is being like Queen Vashti, having the courage to say no in the, path of in the face of oppression. But even though she is cast out and we never hear from her again in the story, Queen Vashti paves the way for someone else to stand up again in order to help other people. She paves the path for Queen Esther, who we'll hear about next week. She paves the path so someone else can say no to the hatred happening in our world. See, this is the God we worship in Jesus, a God who faces violence by being vulnerable, who dares to die in order to free us all. But God's story does not end in suffering and darkness and pain, but it always points beyond to the story we have not yet seen and the story we have not yet heard. That violence and chaos is not the answer. Instead, it is love, that life-giving love that God allows us to have that lifts us up when we have fallen down, that forgives us when we make mistakes and empowers us to speak up on behalf of those people who do not have a voice and are seen as possessions. And God over and over and over again opens the doors to reconciliation, love, and peace. So I hope that as you leave today, that you will remember the story of Queen Vashti, not as a horrible story we had to listen to, not as an example of a woman who needed to learn her place, but as, instead as a woman who knew her place in God's kingdom. And when she wasn't respected for it, she dared to say something. And she stood up for others. And I hope you will remember this too. Remember who you are in your place in God's kingdom as beloved child who belongs, as a follower of Christ who is called to walk alongside Jesus and facing the oppression and injustices happening in our world to stand with the vulnerable and have a voice. Your place to say no to hatred and yes to love. In Jesus' name, amen.